Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. I hope you're all keeping healthy and safe wherever you are and whatever you're doing whilst you tune into this episode. On today's show, I have the one and only Dr. Duncan French, the Vice President of Performance at the UFC. In this conversation, we'll be discussing how Duncan and the UFC approach understanding or evaluating the MMA athlete. And we'll also be discussing a couple of Duncan's strength and conditioning interests on training transfer and concurrent training, amongst other tangents. This episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vowed Performance, the makers of the Force Frame. The Force Frame strength testing system from Vowed is the world leader in upper and lower limb strength testing and training, and is used by health and performance professionals across elite sport for assessing or improving performance and rehabilitation. It's a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. Plus, in addition to testing athletes, the force frame can also be used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. And lastly, it's a portable and easy-to-use system designed to ensure that every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured time after time. To learn more about the force frame, visit our sponsor at vowedperformance.com. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald, and without further ado, here is the conversation between myself and Dr. Duncan French. Dr. Duncan French, welcome to the show, mate. It's a huge privilege to have you on the show. Thank you, Andy. I, I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to chat. And also, I just want to say thank you to you and the UFC for, for trailblazing sport and still getting some live sport out there during this time of recording. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting time, and uh, we've had a lot of um, really positive response, and and people have been crying out for live sport. I think for the last you know ten weeks or so. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting time for us as an organisation trying to put on live events and uh, you know behind closed doors and those types of things. But hopefully, uh, it means as a as a performance community, things can start getting back to normal somewhat, and leagues can start uh, operating again. We'll see. Just in case the listeners have lived in a bit of a cave and they haven't heard of you before, can you just, for some context, outline um, your background and kind of your journey through to the current role you're in? Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a great journey. I've been very privileged, and I'm, I'm humbled by uh, you know where I've got to in my career. But um, it's been a great ride. I uh, I'm obviously from the UK, the north of of, of the UK, and um, you know following my my studies in sports science and those types of things, and working as a PE teacher for a year or so. Um, I actually pursued a PhD over in the US, um, so I came over to America back in 2000. Um, where I studied with Bill Kramer, who's uh, kind of one of the forefathers of resistance training research and resistance training science. So that was four great years at the University of Connecticut working with him and really starting to develop my skills as a sports scientist and kind of thinking that way as in, in, in an academic perspective. But during that time, I also kind of developed my uh, my interest in, in, in strength and conditioning and athlete preparation as I worked in the athletics department. So um that was a great time. And after completing my PhD, I went back to the UK and, and essentially dropped into the British Olympic system with the English Institute of Sport for 14 years, um, where I worked with, you know, close to 30 different Olympic sports. And it was it was a great time. Um, I was the head strength and conditioning coach for Great Britain basketball for six years through to the London Olympics. Um, prior to that, I worked largely with boxing and rowing to uh, the Rio Olympic, excuse me, to the Beijing Olympics. Um, I had a little hiatus after London into in the English Premier League, 
um, with Newcastle United, where I was the head strength and conditioning coach for Newcastle. And then um, at that time, I was also still teaching at Northumbria University and still trying to keep my academic um, kind of background going. Um, after finishing in with Newcastle and, and going back into the English Institute, I was the head strength and conditioning coach for GB Taekwondo and GB Para Swimming through to the Rio Games um, based in Manchester, which was a, a fantastic time. And then I've always, you know, I've always wanted to come back to uh, to the States after studying here. You know, I enjoy the American lifestyle and what sport is in America. So I uh, reached out for different positions and actually got recruited to be the director of performance sciences and the head um, strength and conditioning coach for Olympic sports at the University of Notre Dame. So I spent just over a year at, at Notre Dame in Indiana. Uh, and then at that time, the UFC came knocking and, and, and recruited me uh, to my position right now. So it's been a wild ride. It's been fantastic. I've had some great positions and uh, I've always tried to keep my skills up as a, as a sports scientist and, um, you know, the, the academic kind of aspect of interrogating sports performance. And then, yeah, a lot of coaching as a, as a strength conditioning coach. I mean, we'll get more into the UFC stuff in a minute, but I mean, it sounds like the you've got so much diversity of multi-sport experience that that must be helpful in UFC, where you've you've got uh, kind of multiple sports within one, when you can kind of look at movement and you can look at athletes from a lot of different experiences that you can pull upon. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've you know, I've, I've been privileged to work with some great coaches and, and, and scientists and, um, you know, the, the, the staff at the English Institute was a fantastic time, um, a real melting pot of innovation and of ideas. And, you know, I hold it dear to my heart. It really shaped me how I look at, you know, sports performance and strategy around performance development and uh, being able to work with different sports that all have their own respective cultures and ideologies um, and bringing it to my, my current role in, in a sport, which is essentially, you know, the decathlon of combat sports. There's so many kind of characteristics and requirements for um, mixed martial arts that, um, yeah, it is it is valuable on, on many different levels, not just, um, you know, the training aspect, but also, you know, co- philosophy and culture and, you know, understanding how people look at life. It's uh, It's been really good. And we had Heather Linden on not too long ago on the show and she um, she outlined sort of some of the details and explanations of what the the UFC PI is but for anyone that might have missed that episode or might be tuning into this as their first episode can you uh, I guess in a nutshell explain what the performance institute is and and kind of how you approach things there yeah, I mean, the, you know, I would advise anyone to listen to Heather's episode. She's our director of uh, physical therapy, and uh, she's a, she's an amazing practitioner. Um, but you know, the Performance Institute was opened up in 2017 here in Las Vegas at the the UFC World Headquarters, um, and its mandate is essentially to support the the global roster of about 600 UFC fighters. Um, with everything relating to health, well-being and performance. So we have performance services in nutrition, physical therapy, medical, sports science, strength and conditioning, psychology, etc. Um, and those services are on offer to all of the roster. Um, it's kind of an a la carte approach um, where they can pick and choose how they interact with us and the, the support that they get. Um, and since uh, opening, we've also developed a, a new Performance Institute in Shanghai, China, um, where we now have a full-time academy with about 30 um, full-time academy athletes in there trying to break into the UFC. So the the UFC Performance Institute, the way I I kind of market it as a concept, we're here to help our athletes um, in in the UFC 
but also we're, we're here to kind of shift the, the culture of, of global combat kind of sports performance um, with, through education and outreach and changing kind of the status quo of what um, combat sports look like. And what does your kind of day-to-day role look like at the, at the Institute? Well, as a VP of performance, it's very diverse. I have to be honest, it's it's exciting. Um, I get, you know, everything from being able to be on the floor and coach athletes and, and deliver, you know, diagnostics and, and, and build training programs through to managing the whole team, um, both here and in, in Shanghai. So kind of we look at it as a collective where, um, you know, I, I'm developing strategy and, and you know the, the the operational interface, how the how our services interface with the athletes, and and what those services look like, how we try to deliver um, best service, best practice to them. That kind of comes back to myself as a as the kind of strategic lead for that. Um, so my days are very diverse, everything from coaching to doing pieces relating to production to you know speaking to vendors and technology partners to you know reading and science and, and trying to get up to speed with the the latest insights. So it's it's uh, it's it's very very diverse and and really exciting to be involved. I mean, it's got to be a bit of a dream job in the first place, but it must be a bit of a dream for any uh, performance practitioner, especially strength conditioning coach, to to be able to almost design a facility from a blank canvas. I mean, you've you've hit the nail on the head, if I'm honest with you. Um, you know, I had a great position at the University of Notre Dame, and I left there, and people were saying, you know, why why are you leaving to go to the UFC? When I when I looked at it, there was there was three factors that were that were crucially important to me. Um, number one was obviously, you know, I'm walking into a brand new world-class high-performance facility at the time, the best performance facility in the world um, from day one. Um, number two, being able to have a, a blank page, you know, handing me the kind of keys and saying, right, Duncan, you're the performance specialist. Um, you tell us how we should build this and how we should operate it and what it's going to look like from from day one, which is you know, nearly never happens in a career. And then number three, to do it in a sport that is so um, young in terms of its professional status. It's only 25 years old as a professional sport. So the the opportunity to learn and develop and shape the sport moving forwards is, is huge. Um, and there's lots of opportunity for that. So those three things of, you know, world-class facility, blank page to, to, to recruit a team and shape the way we operate and to do that in a sport like MMA which is the world's fastest growing sport is is a fantastic opportunity. The thing I'm really interested in which I think probably a few people would be is how do you I guess set your own framework for how you're going to you know tour facilities and brainstorm I guess uh, what you want why you want it and you know because everybody would love that uh, opportunity to do what you've done but you've got to be so strategic in how you even plan for it. So I'm really curious as to kind of how you navigated that, uh, you know, the moments before you actually opened the Institute as to like, how did you plan it really? And how did you decide that process? Yeah, I mean, it's, lots goes into it. You're right. But if, I, if you know, in response to your question, if I, I would pick out three key things, um, Number one is obviously we want to develop a facility that is truly world class and that has got all the requirements that you would need um, as, as a professional athlete in, in the modern day. So that encompasses everything from training spaces to recovery and regeneration areas to uh, how the treatment and medical spaces look to, you know, office space and staff environments and those types of things. So 
you know, you, you've got to consider that. The second thing um, is driving the culture of the sport. Um, and we, 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 we think a lot and we continue to think a lot about what, what is the culture of our sport? What is MMA? What is combat sport? And what do our environments need to look like for those types of athletes and those types of coaches? We would look at it differently if we were developing a basketball training facility or if we we're developing a, a soccer you know, training ground or whatever. So I think it's important that your ambition to have a world-class facility also aligns very specifically with the culture of the client that you're going to be working with. And then thirdly, um, we, which is kind of the, our mantra and, and central to how we operate, is we're very interdisciplinary in what we do we want to drive an interdisciplinary approach so the design and the development of the facility uh, considerations around traffic flow and the egress into and in and out of the building how how that experience is going to look like for an athlete um, in terms of engaging with our services how it promotes interaction between you know nutrition strength and conditioning and and, and the clinical space all this um, is, is a very significant consideration when we're designing and developing the building. It's interesting because it's, it's far more than just picking the best tools, isn't it? It's Absolutely, more, yeah. It's, it's a lot more thoughtful than just uh, buying the best things that you can find. Absolutely, yeah, you've nailed it. Um, I want to dive into some specifics with you and I guess in particular some topics that I know are professional interests of yours. Um, in terms of understanding the athletes you've got, you've got, fighters with different levels of physical qualities different fight styles um and probably different objectives for either their long-term athletic development or perhaps their development as it relates to an upcoming fight and its game plan so ideally from an snc perspective you want to be very clear uh, and plan working backwards from the desired adaptations that you you want in those training plans and be able to organize the schedule and the methods and the, the the programs nuts and bolts off of those you know first principles with with those variables in mind and and a bunch more from snc alone let alone the other disciplines of performance and sports medicine you've got to be organized to be able to understand the needs analysis of of a, of a fighter in this case how do you at, at the ufc kind of systematically organize your your full understanding and full evaluation of a fighter to be able to plan for what they need and, and help them so a bit of a huge question <laughs> no i mean it, it's it, again you've you've really kind of highlighted what we have to do on a day-to-day -day basis in the complexity of our sport now you know I've, I've worked with many different sports and each of them excels in what they do but i don't think i've ever been around a sport that's got so many degrees of freedom so many variables that have to come into consideration as something like mixed martial arts because of the the nature of what our fighters do uh, in competition so yeah listen I, I i draw on my 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 experiences in the the olympic world um to to do this and and in the shape you know how our team go about it it's it's very much influenced by that long-term approach to development when you look at a quad um for for an olympic sport where you've got this strategy that you're building across four years and you have to maximize potential at a given time. So, you know, the, 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 the old concept of, of, you know, what makes the boat go faster um, is, is, is really about understanding the determinants that influence success. And that certainly has been given to me from my time at, at the English, English Institute and with the Olympic um, program in the UK. And I've tried to use that kind of philosophy and 
and bring it to our team and bring it to to our sport of mixed martial arts. So, you know, reverse engineering the sport um, is very complex. And that's where we started back in 2017 is basically interrogating competition. Now, if you look at linear sports like sprinting or rowing or swimming, it's a little bit easier to build out time splits and start to figure out what the determinants might be. But when you look at the chaos that is fighting um, and, and mixed martial arts that can be stand at one minute to the groundwork the next minute to clinch work to you know knees elbows fists you know everything um, it, it's super complex so yeah we, we we took a lot of time to look at fight metrics to break down the sport to understand you know what's really um, influential in, in in wins and losses um, and then alongside that, we've we've built out a pretty comprehensive physical, physiological and neurological um, diagnostic profile um, that we can put our fighters through. And then it becomes kind of a mapping strategy. It becomes a conversational piece with the coach and the athlete to say, OK, are you looking to elevate your weaknesses or your limitations? And that's what we need to target in the weight room because you have a wrestling background and we need to improve some of your velocity-based characteristics or you're a striker and therefore your strength levels are not where they need to be um we start having those kind of conversations and teasing out all right what's our strategy are we lifting your limitations or are we going to make your strength super strengths and really pursue de- further developing what makes you great as a fighter um so that that then comes into that conversation of being able to compare your current physical standards against your immediate peers and then mapping it against kind of competition of what is required in our sport at this moment in time um so it's it's it is pretty complex and overlaid on top of all that is a conversation around um is your is your snc strategy related to weight management or is it related to performance because those two are the antithesis of each other. It's If you think about someone that might be too large or too heavy or carrying too much body fat in a weight class sport, um, the need to, to remove that, um, that in, inefficient mass is about low-intensity cardio, right, and, and a removal or a restriction of calories. If you look at performance, it's the exact opposite. Performance training in the weight room or on, is about high-intensity you know, speed, velocity, power, um, and fueling that so you can do it effectively. So the, the 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 overarching question always comes down to in our sport as a weight class sport begins with you know are you on weight? Are you are you close to what your competition weight is, or are you letting yourself go? And therefore, we have to spend more of our time doing kind of remedial cardio um, to remove some of that body composition challenge. So. Lots of questions um, that we have to ask in order to get to a strategy around sets, reps, rest, exercise selection, etc. The complexity and the amount of moving parts that you're dealing with always fascinates me because, you know, a sport like rugby, as an example, might have different positions and you might, say, group or program those positions and athletes uh, based on the physical qualities their position has. But with UFC, you can have... Uh, maybe a person with a strong Muay Thai and striking background uh, want to work on their grappling game and the strength program needs to alter towards that. And it, it would be like a winger knocking on the coach's door in a rugby team and saying, I want to play prop. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite uh, it, there's so much change, I guess, that you have to be able to deal with in the programming side of it as well. 
Yeah, we we you know, it's it's a great challenge for you know strength and conditioning coaches. That's why I love it, and, and and that's why I'm so excited about what we're doing because it's really super complex, and there's no easy answers. And you know, when you look at performance through my lens and the way I look at it, it that's exciting to me. It's a problem that we're trying to figure out, that we're trying to work through to find the best strategy, the best mechanism, the best training plan. Um, but as you say, if you take a point guard in basketball. Most point guards look very similar and have to do the same kind of skill set. Uh, if you look at a winger in rugby, as you say, they kind of look the same and do the same things. But in, in the sport, in our sport, you know, you could be in the same weight class, but you could have a tall guy, a short guy, a skinny guy, a stocky guy, a guy that's a, a wrestler, a guy that's a Muay Thai fighter. It, it, it's super diverse um, and it's not just like putting them in a single bucket and saying, well, you are a 185 middleweight. Well, all the 185 pound middleweights look very different from each other. So, yeah, it's a it's a great challenge to take on, and as a strength coach, it's fascinating to try and figure out how we optimize that. I mean, I think a lot of uh, I think most people in most sports, as far as they're able to, try to individualize anything that they can do. But speaking to Heather Linden and hearing about the kind of MDT approach that you guys have, it, it makes sense now. Also, hearing you talk about the complexity because you can't. Um, it's quite hard for you to create systems and buckets because there is so much complexity. I mean, we have an over, you know, we have overarching philosophies, you know, our tra- you know, training philosophies, but that that needs to flex. And I think this is, you know, this is a certain kind of bugbear of, of mine uh, that I've, over my over my career, I've kind of banged this drum. But um, yeah, you, the, the training strategy, the training program has to flex to meet the requirements of the individual athlete and their their you know physiology. Um, if yeah. we give if we have twenty people the same training program, you're going to get twenty different results to that same training program. So, you know, heterogeneity is is massive in our sport on many different levels. So, you know, we have overarching philosophies at the Performance Institute in how we want to go about our training systems, but that still has to flex, as you say, to accommodate or to maximize the individual potential of each fighter. And I think, you know, one of the things I want to touch upon as well with you is uh, training transfer, having heard you um, speak about it uh, on other kind of platforms before. MMA is an interesting sport where the training culture is kind of renowned for being excellent, if you like, from a work ethic standpoint. And uh, But there can sometimes be some disconnect between maybe the, the training intentions uh, and the actual methods or processes that some of the fighters may have tried before getting to you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, quite topically we had Alex Wolf on the show recently discussing adaptation led programming which really emphasized in his episode the importance of matching our methods to the desired adaptation that we're trying to elicit uh, and I think you know in MMA you've got so much diversity of the uh, different fight disciplines different training cultures and their individual methods I think one of the things I wonder is how in your case, how do you effectively support athletes to use valid methods and ensure that there's training uh, transfer from what you're actually giving them to do? Yeah, that's a great question. And Alex and I are kind of cut from the same cloth through, you know, through the English Institute a little bit. You know, his former colleague of mine, a good friend. So, you know, we have some similar philosophies. But, you know, I think in terms of, you know, the question, yeah, the the sport, you know, combat sports and mixed martial arts has got a, a lot of, um, you know, 
anecdotal approaches, let's say. Like I, like, like I mentioned previously, it's still very young as a sport. It's probably the world's oldest sport, you know. And Neanderthal man was fighting, you know, each other to to get the, the piece of meat, right? So competition and, and fighting is, is the world's oldest sport. Um, but as a professional sport and our insight and our intellect around the best training methodologies is actually pretty young compared to some other sports. So that's what we're trying to figure out and, and support that process. Now, training transfer, yeah, we, we as staff and the strength coaches have got to understand how, you know, how we do that. In basic science, you know, there's plenty of literature out there to demonstrate whether it's from a structural integrity and, and, and changing muscles and tissue structure um, that we, we kind of know how to do that or whether it's on the other side of the coin, whether it becomes more motor learning and motor control we as coaches have to understand that spectrum of how how to do that how to get training transfer um and, and how the best methods of um you know promoting that is but the to, to get the the athletes to do that we're very much coming at it from the same approach we we're breaking down what is probably a tradition of kind of the crossfit you know workout where it, it's all Everything is done in one session and it's just maximizing energetic demand, but potentially not changing any kind of structural or physical um, targeting demand. And we're trying to shape that. So, you know, our our approach is very much around, you know, this adaptation led programming is, is a great term. In um, as much as we use our diagnostics to start having the conversation on what is it that we're trying to target in this training block what is it that we're emphasizing and a lot of education and coaching you know the athlete and their coach their team up in how how we need to be specific around a training strategy to target certain adaptations that that, that's how we're going about it as well so you know it's a removal of a lot of dogma in a sport like mixed martial arts a lot of you know historical methods and you know education is is, and and communication is, is a big part of what we're trying to do as well I mean, education is always a big part of any sport, I guess, uh, especially when you work with like remote teams and coaches. But has that been one of the bigger pieces of your role compared to maybe other environments that you've worked in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think back to my time when I was with GB Basketball and we would, you know, the, the players were essentially playing in the different pro leagues around the world. And then every summer we would come together, you know, for about 12 weeks as a team. So, you know, keeping tabs on what they were doing outside of that time together was was a big part. So, you know, remote coaching is is really challenging and probably more than half of what we do now at the UFC Performance Institute is done remotely. Um, because fighter, it's very transient facility. We have 600 fighters globally. Um, about 26 of those live in Las Vegas and they're, they're with us kind of every single day, let's say. Um, but the rest of them are, are coming and going anywhere from, you know, a week to 12 weeks based on if they're having a fight camp with us or whatever it may be. Um, so we have to find the most effective ways to monitor and track remotely to, to keep engagement, to promote kind of understanding of what they're doing and influence, you know, influencing what they're doing remotely. So that's a real challenge um, of what we do, but uh, it's an interesting challenge. Sounds like you're definitely one of the uh, sports organizations uh, more prepared for coronavirus than anybody else in that sense. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably, a little bit. You, you, you had your tools in place before by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, we have a very unique business model that's different to, you know, say Manchester United, where all the players are in front of you every single day and you can mandate that they're coming in at 9am for breakfast and practice starts at 10 and they'll have lunch there. And, you know, that, that we don't have that liberty. Our guys come and go. Um, they might be there for two days. They might be there for a week. They might be there for four weeks. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. And we were, you know, we are very much set up to, to support remote kind of coaching and, and influencing you know, from distance. You know, building on uh, sort of training adaptations is a bit of a topic. Um, you know, for being simplistic, then the the adaptations to exercise tend to be directly related to the stimulus that the athlete's exposed to. Right. And and that, that's the sort of basis of the said principle. That's why that's that's why we have uh, an endemic of overtraining in MMA as well, <laughs> because, like I say, it's the decathlon of combat sports, and they're trying to put all these respective components into their training, uh, you know, the training regime, and often it's not managed well, and it becomes an overreaching or an overtraining type scenario. So that's definitely something we have to manage with the complexity of, uh, you know, the training stimulus and training transfer. Can you? Um... You know, obviously, with your fighters, they're not kind of like, if, if you like, purebred physical quality athletes, where they're like a sprinter or purely an endurance athlete or purely a strength athlete. They're they're in that grey area of interference, aren't they? Where they they're probably being asked to do a lot of things physically at once in a fight or right. at moments during the fight. Can you know some of the listeners will be more familiar than others with concurrent training? Could you, uh, I guess, could you walk the listeners through what concurrent training is um, to get them up to speed if they haven't, but maybe in relation to UFC to be contextual? Yeah, I mean, um, the the concept of concurrent training is something that has been a you know it's been a, a real interest of mine for many years prior to coming to to mixed martial arts, but um, that interest has been maximised and magnified now. I'm I'm working with a, a sport that has so many physical and technical requirements. Um, but yeah, concurrent training is, is all about um, you know the the, um, the the physiology that we're trying to influence. If, if because of the you know as you as you said the, the specific adaptation related principles of physiology, if you give the the system a stimulus, um, the body is going to respond to that alert, that new stimulus. It's going to be overloaded, and consequently, it's going to adapt to that stimulus. Now, if that stimulus is then changed to a different stimulus. The same process is going to happen, but according to the new stimulus. Um, if you're only sending one training stimulus, you know, i.e. go very fast or lift something very heavy, your body gets very good at doing that, um, which is great if you work in a pretty um, one-dimensional sport like weightlifting, for example, um, or sprinting. But if your sport is is more complex let's say physiologically and has more components there might be the the requirement to draw upon many different physical and technical factors at the same time i.e concurrently um so the need for concurrent physical attributes um is is very much apparent in in sport now the problem is that it's hard to train for two things concurrently because your body gets you know the signal gets diluted um and you know the 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 different physiological attributes aren't um aren't necessarily trained in the same way so if you look at you know one end of the spectrum endurance is very very long prolonged low intensity kind of low neuromuscular stimulus 
if you look at the other end of that spectrum, strength or maximum force is about, you know, super high intensity, very low volumes, high neuromuscular demand. So they're two very different signals. But in a sport like mixed martial arts and other sports, some of the the, you know, the game sports, um, invasion game sports, you, there might be a requirement where you say, well, you know, there's a there's a strength power aspect to this piece of it, but there's also this endurance piece because the game is 90 minutes or the fight is 25 minutes and it's not just you know four seconds. So that challenge, that demand on the body. Um, uh, is is really interesting to try and figure out how you maximize the potential in multiple physiological and technical factors at the same time. I've heard you speak before about, uh, I think it was on Brett Bartholomew's podcast, I think you you mentioned to him the, the concept of like a 52-week fight camp rather than yeah. an eight-week fight camp. And I, I guess like going back to the sprinting example, it's quite common with sprinters for you know, some of them might be very strong and high force producers. And so that's what they're very good at. So they, they sometimes might leave that part of the training to a certain part of the year and work on other things at other times in the year. Do you, do you take that kind of stance with, um, I guess with MMA, both from like a, a physical training standpoint, but also maybe, you know, the different disciplines of fights have different physical, the different fight aspects that they're working on technically have different physical qualities as well. You know, so striking is very different to grappling, as an example. Do you do you try to kind of periodize those uh, tactical segments from a physical point through the year as well? I mean, sometimes is the, is the, is the response. Um, the interesting thing about our sport is that once I've had a fight, a competition, because the fight is competition, there's no visibility over when the next competition or the next fight is going to be. Um, if you play in a, if you play you know, a seasonal sport, you know next Saturday there's another game, and then next Wednesday there's a game, and then the following Saturday there's a game. You've got more structure to it. Or if you're in an Olympic sport, you know you're going to go to the Spanish Open, and then the British Open, and then the European Championships, and then the Israeli Open, and the Austrian Open, and then the Olympic Games. You can kind of plot out that that schedule is already kind of usually defined for you. Now, in our sport, there is this strange kind of gray area where we have fighters still training and preparing, but with no visibility of when their next competition is going to be. That's a really kind of unique characteristic of prize fighting, I would say. So, yeah, when when we come out of a competition and we have this kind of, let's call it off-camp or general preparation phase, there's some real strategic decisions to be made, i.e. what you would normally do in general preparation phase is really saturate the system and place demand and overload specific physical qualities that you're trying to ele elevate the capacity or you know the power in. The problem is if you do that, then you push an athlete into high levels of fatigue, residual fatigue. And in our sport, if that competition, so if, if Dana White calls you up suddenly and says, hey, do you want to fight in four weeks? We've got a short notice fight for you. Usually our fighters are going to say, yeah, I'll take that short notice fight. But if you've pushed them too far into this general preparation phase where their system is really fatigued and overloaded, um, they're not going to be able to rebound fast enough for a short notice fight. So what we try to do is build in specific preparation and general preparation phases, which are much shorter blocks. Um, and rotate them essentially within this off-camp period because the specific preparation is going to keep us closer 
to the requirements of competition. It's going to be higher velocities. It's going to be movement patterns that reflect those that, that you see in competition. Sparring volumes are going to go up. But then we need to drop back into some general preparatory work because we know we're not fighting. So we can do some stuff where we're trying to elevate, you know, horsepower under the hood, let's say, in any type of physical quality. That's the time to do it. And you're in, in the fight camp preparation, you can't do it because you're sharpening the knife ready for competition. So we have this real challenge in our off camp phases of how deep do we go with general preparation um, and that, you know, physiological adaptation targeted programming versus removing them from what we would call sport specific capacity. Um, and that includes, you know, are you going to be fighting a wrestler and therefore we do, we need to do more wrestling practice and, you know, the physical training will align with that or do you, do you do more kind of jujitsu or more kickboxing work? So it's, it's, uh, this unknown gray period is, is a real challenge for us as to how we strategize for it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've almost got to leave a certain percentage of the, your uh considerations or and and i guess you had to allow the athlete to have a certain percentage of their capacity to be reactive to um quickly changing and uh and sort of priming themselves ready for a fight um in, yeah. in whatever discipline that's going to be um, it's like being on it's like being on call absolutely you, you, you know if you if you've ne- if you haven't trained at you know competition tempo because you've been doing general preparation work then it's going to be really hard to get that competition tempo back in three weeks let's say so one one thing that i'm very much kind of working on right now and i'm excited to to bring it you know out to 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 the community in the not too distant future is our concurrent training methodology around an emphasis training concurrent strategy so looking at how we can take a periodization strategy of concurrent training which can can take many different physical qualities and train them at the same time but emphasis put emphasis on different ones so you can make all of those different physical qualities um the same in terms of their exposure across a training week which looks more like a daily undulating type of model in the in or you can bring it into more of a block type periodization strategy where you put much more emphasis on one particular characteristic and you download the the emphasis on other characteristics but it doesn't mean they go away completely it means you just might be tickling them so they don't detrain you're essentially maintaining them so this emphasis model for mma is something which i've been looking at and working on uh, with greg half um, over in australia and, and also bo sandoval who's our head strength and conditioning coach philosophically to look at what we need to do in the sport of mixed martial arts to change the different emphases during different training phases but not removing them completely for the point that you make around you're on call and if that call comes you need to quickly and rapidly up, up um, you know elevate one of these em- these emphasis around a particular factor now if you've not done that for two to three months let's say it's going to take you some time to get that back but in an emphasis model you can always make sure that it's uh, it's been maintained to some extent because I guess the former problem where maybe a fighter is doing too much of everything all at once and all in the same session, I guess um, in, in to some degree they must stay sharp in that way, but then they also then don't adapt or progress physiologically. Um, so they kind of just stagnate, I guess, at a, as a, at a physical level when they do that. 
Yeah, that, that, that's that's the way. You know, that's a philosophical look at it, and that's the way I look at it. Is you know, it's just noise, right? So yes, it's hard work, and yes, you're doing lots of different things. But those conflicting signals, like if you put everything into one session, it's just noise that conflicts each other, and the system gets too diluted with too many different signals. Um, and I think that's the problem or historical problem with the approach to training for MMA. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a time when we need to beast people and when people need to go to, into the deep water uh, and, and, and do that because that's the nature of our sport. But at the appropriate time in the periodization of off-camp preparation, I definitely think you need to be a bit more intellectual about how you are now trying to promote or develop yourself rather than maintaining your standard which is the only thing possible in a in a uh, you know mixed model training session like let's say where you're putting many different factors together you're never going to optimize any of those factors because it's physiologically impossible you've got fantastic facilities and capabilities uh, at your institute do you are you able to monitor the fighters physiology closely regularly when they are with you to sort of see which way they're you know, self-signaling or which way they are actually adapting in real time from whatever you're doing emphasis-wise in concurrent training? Yeah, I mean, like I say, it comes back to our diagnostic profile. I wouldn't say we're at the depth of understanding self-signaling in our sport right now. Um, you know, that'd be, a, that'd be a super cool research study to do where we start to look at, um, you know, some, some muscle tissue and, and see how things adapt across time. But I, I, I look a lot at... Um, you know, military research, and I look a lot at CrossFit type research because they're the two kind of domains that really mirror what our athletes have to do, i.e., many different physical tasks concurrently, um, often in you know caloric de- depletion or dehydration, um, and pulling kind of concepts from the literature and bringing it across to mixed martial arts and, and what we do. Um, but yeah, we obviously have monitoring, you know, pretty comprehensive monitoring strategies, looking at central nervous system management from a sympathetic and parasympathetic load characteristics. We look at EKG for, you know, uh, cardiovascular health and cardiovascular performance. Um, and then we have a, you know, a, a really robust portfolio of different diagnostics in the energy systems development across the you know, the different energy systems and then across the different force velocity curve characteristics as well. So um, we try to be abreast of, of a fighter and how they're responding to their training as much as possible because we want to be able to make those pivots and those changes in strategy pretty quickly um, based on what the, the demands of our sport are. Still, you know, still within the kind of theme of um, understanding fighters uh, physiologically or the demands that are placed upon them. Um, have you been able to kind of collect information on what the fighters go through in a, you know, a prize, a, a real prize fight in front of a crowd yeah. versus uh, training? Uh, no is the answer. And nobody has to this time, this moment in time. I think that's one of the, you know, I would say that's kind of the top, one of the top two biggest challenges of our sport is that no one actually really understands competition. Um, you know, in, in our previous chat here we've talked about reverse engineering from competition and you know the irony is that we don't actually have 
really extrinsic and intrinsic characteristics of the demands of competition. Now, we're getting close to that using, you know, different video technologies and accelerometer technologies and gloves and things um, and mapping out, you know, velocities of knees, elbows, kicks, punches. Um, it's tough to really get a grasp on some of the grappling um, and jujitsu type skills because, you know, that's an, it's often isometric with no mechanical load, but, um, you know, obviously an exertional load. Um, so we're trying our best, but things like wearable technology really doesn't work in our sport. You know, it's, it's, there's too much noise. People are pulling them off and all this type of thing. So, um, wearables don't really work. We're, we're starting to look at instrumented mouthpieces, um, where we can really start to map out a, a load characteristic around head impacts. And, and we're going to see if we can use that to also look at some of the triaxial accelerometry characteristics that you would get with a, you know, like a, a traditional GPS between the shoulder blades and see if we can change the signal characteristics to get an algorithm to give us a player load as well. So we're trying to be creative around those types of things. Um, but it's a really, it's a really tough problem to solve is that one. Yeah, it sounds really interesting, though, from your standpoint, in terms of the sort of innovation that you're you're going through personally or uh, or helping to implement there. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's you know that's that's like I said, it, it's 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 hard. It's really hard because the, the clarity and the ease of, of figuring out our sport is really challenging. But I find that you know really exciting, and um, our whole team are embracing embracing the process. We've probably just you know you would have touched upon it then in your answers, but. Um, in terms of like the future direction of uh, the, the sort of performance backing of UFC and the Performance Institute, where do you kind of envisage it going? Um, or, you know, what kind of questions and problems do you want to answer? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, with, we, we opened up in 2017, 2020 now, we're three years into this thing. And I think operationally, we've got much more clarity about what, what it is and what, what our role is. Um, and we're actually in the process of now resetting our key performance indicators and our objectives for the next three years. So it's a very topical timing. But, um, you know, I think we've done a really, really great job of hitting the ground running and offering, you know, great services to our roster and our athletes. And um, we've done some very um, innovative things around how we support fighters at events around the world, how we support fighters in their training around the world. Um, and that's been massively well received. The the next iteration of the Performance Institute and what we need to do is to start building out our educational platform for the combat community. So, you know, we're looking at certifications. We're looking at how we can build out our education interfaces with, the, you know, with the community out there, people potentially listening to this podcast, um, looking at how they can get access to our staff and, and, and interact around topical, you know, topics in nutrition or medical or strength and conditioning. Um, so, yeah, we're looking at a, a big um, launch of a digital platform here in the not too distant future that will support that process of education and starting to really build a community that are, are looking to elevate the standards in, in, in mixed martial arts and combat sports. That's a that's a big project for us moving forwards. Um, and then obviously we'll continue to see how we can um, put different Performance Institute footprints around the world. Um, we've got one in Vegas, we've got one in Shanghai, and uh, hopefully in the not-too-distant future here, there'll be uh, there'll be some more opening up in different territories around the world as well. And obviously the, the listeners will easily be able to find UFC, but where's the, where's the best place for them to kind of track um, the performance and sports medicine efforts of the PI and, and I guess also follow yourself? Yeah, like I say, that... 
so to date that's been really crappy we've we've done a crap job for you know the listeners and the people in the in the community to say how do i access you know the 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 the, the skills and the understanding and the philosophy of what the medical team or the snc team are doing at the at the at the sports inst- at the pi so you know we want to change that so we're going to be developing out you know a, a new platform um, to really promote that, to to build, you know, access to a community where there'll be forums and conversations and um, webinars where people can, can interact with our staff. That's all going to be coming online very soon here um, at ufcpi.com. Um, and then obviously myself, listen, I'm, I'm on all the, the respective social channels from Instagram to Facebook to Twitter, um, you name it, LinkedIn. Um, just as usually Duncan French or Dr. Duncan French, you can find me uh, one way or another. And, and I'm always happy to talk and open to, to conversations. Listen, we, we're doing our best and we do some great things, but we certainly haven't got it all figured out. And um, I'm not naive enough to think that uh, we've got it figured out. So I'm always open to, to conversations and, and new ideas and welcome the opportunity to collaborate. Cool. For the listeners, well, uh, I'll I'll plug everything in terms of where they can find you in the in the show notes. But Duncan, I've got to I've got to thank you, mate. You you speak with so much uh, honesty in what you're doing, and and I think I, I admire the clarity that you're able to communicate it through as well. It's really it's interesting. And it's really clear to hear you speak about anything. Thank you, man. I mean, I, I, I like I say, I love what I do. We've got a great team. We're doing some exciting things, and I'm really proud of uh, what the UFC Performance Institute is doing. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be given the opportunity and the platform. So thank you for for letting me come on the podcast. No pleasure. Thank you very much, mate. I'd like to thank Dr. Duncan French again for coming on today's show, especially whilst the UFC is one of the only professional sports currently active during this pandemic. So I greatly appreciate his time amongst what is no doubt a busy and very complicated period. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did recording the conversation with him. It's always great to hear Dr. French interviewed or present, and he always articulates his wealth of knowledge and practical experience very smoothly and enjoyably. So again, big thank you to him for joining us. Next week on the Informed Performance Podcast, I speak to my friend Alan Hazlitt, a physiotherapist at the British Olympic Association based at the Intensive Rehabilitation Unit. Hit subscribe and follow us on social media to ensure that you catch next week's show and all new episodes. Find us on Instagram at Inform Performance or on Twitter at InformPod. If you'd like to see the show notes or contact us, then you can also find us on our website, informperformance.com. But for now, thanks for listening to the Inform Performance Podcast.